0: Good morning. I am your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the 11, 12, 13, you don't get to say that often, edition of Ask a Leader. It is a day after Veterans Day, wherein I recommend a listen to an old show I did in 2010 uh, with a B-17 World War II veteran. It was a joy to produce that, and I hope you'll check it out on the KUCI archives or on my website, askaleader.net. Today, my first guest will be Katie Barraza, Director of Senior Services at the Gay and Lesbian Services Center at Orange County, whose mission is to support seniors who face homophobia in whatever setting that one can imagine. Then we hear from immigration attorney Jeff Kergel to cover the legal and political status quo of immigrant law, and we'll be talking about the legal and administrative aspect every bit as much as the political prospects for reform dwindle in the on the congressional line. And hosting with me today possibly might be Sammy Kabara, but I haven't seen Sammy yet. He may show up. Uh, that will be a seamless transition having him in. Welcome, to, we'll, we'll welcome into the show. So we'll be back in just a. Brief station break with our show. Welcome back to the show. My first guest today is Katie Barraza, who is the Director of Senior Services at the Gay and Lesbian Services Center of Orange County, also known as The Center, where she, as a gerontologist, where her goal is to bring equality and aging services to our LGBT seniors, uh, which involves more support, health education, and nutrition programs for her clientele. The center, Orange County, was established as a volunteer organization in 71 and is now uh, one of the oldest gay and lesbian community centers in the U.S. Katie received her B.A. from Chapman University and her Master's of Science in Gerontology from Cal State University. Fullerton. Her affiliation with the center was first as a volunteer, where she grew a senior social from four members to the current 25, or maybe even more now. I, and I believe there's a there will be a social uh, right at 11 o'clock after our, uh, our discussion. So she comes to us today from Santa Ana. Welcome to the show, Katie Braza.
1: Yes, thank you. Thank you, Claudia, for having me on.
0: Well, we're glad that uh, First, I was glad to meet you. It was at a a, a gay pride celebration in Santa Ana, and there you were just reigning around (laughs) there with with your vivacious presence to uh, bring out the message of how seniors, uh, LGBTQ seniors, are really not getting their due. Well... Previously on Ask a Leader, we've covered aging issues, but this, as I was indicating, is a whole different array of problems and issues. Would you tell us a bit, Katie, in general, about your clientele, uh, these seniors or elders who have come of age before the civil, gay civil rights movement? Mm-hmm. Likely they came out of the closet only recently? If they have it all, and some have come out and have had to return to the closet due to the shaming done to them in an in institutional and other settings. Yes, tell us about that.
1: So, so I wanted I wanted my program um, to focus on bringing access to support services and having a program at the center OC um, specifically for those over the age of fifty five. Um, was able to not just bring community together but expand health and wellness education um, and you know really be able to have a place in Orange county to have visibility and community and it's and it has really grown when i when I came to the center um, as a volunteer to start the senior services program, I had two or three gentlemen that came to my my social, like I did a seniors like kind of how they would do like a, a youth group meeting at the center. I wanted to do a senior a senior meeting yes. where I could connect everyone and um, and be able to offer resources and and then you know talk about issues that one was facing um, and then as you know as time progressed i 've had socials that have had over twenty five um, attend, and then my email since I've started as a volunteer now, goes out to 157 seniors. Oh, my seniors. Oh, my. So the reach, and, and my program was um, funded as this last January. So it, and it's really having a connection to the center, having the support services, connecting community, letting other mainstream community providers know that we exist, um, one of my goals was to establish ourselves with the Orange County Aging Service Collaborative. Yes, and that collaborative is our is our is our largest nonprofit collaborative that brings nonprofits together that serve seniors. Um, everything from the Alzheimer's Association, transportation, um, the Caregiver Resource Center. Um, there's so many CalOptima Scan, but to be able to. To do that, I also wanted them to know that that their, their people that they serve have access to our program so that it really builds a bridge and be able and to be able to offer them cultural competency training as well
0: right so right.
1: you know so they have an understanding you know with um, families of choice and you know some of some of the needs that might come about and also, now that we have marriage equality, um, you know, coming in and, and being able to say this is my husband, this is my wife, you know, this is, you know, and be able to have the knowing that your providers, you know, recognize and and that, you know, it's it's just it's really important.
0: Literally legitimizing. Yes,
1: and and I also for for the providers have a safe space for them to ask questions, which are, you know, maybe they addressing some of their questions and misconceptions. So they can have a place to say, oh, you know what, I, I'm really curious about this, or how do I ask this question about um, sexual orientation or gender identity, or how will I, you know, how will I, um, you know, best um, be able to provide service based on their needs?
0: Right, right. And so it's sort of... Uh, one organization at a time, one personnel at a time, to get to gain, as you said, the, the cultural sensitivity and under training uh, under their belt, so that they can be effective in, mm-hmm. in meeting those needs,
1: and and also empowering um, my seniors to be able to ask them questions to make sure that they're confident with who they're seeing.
0: Right. Right. So well, it's,
1: it's it's really it's really twofold. I and do, yes. And I'm I'm also um, working at working on establishing our um, affiliation with an organization called Sage, which um, is a national organization. Um, Senior advocacy for gay elderly is what Sage stands for. Yes, and they really they've been doing so much to reauthorize, for instance, the Older Americans Act to include LGBT elders as vulnerable population because when that when that is acknowledged um, in any group that has been discriminated against um, having access to funds through the Office on Aging and Support services it you know it'll it'll be in there it'll be in the older Americans act
0: it codifies it mhm exactly that. well let's I just wanted to give for all the listeners benefit the um the uh, the Some of the demographic information you've uh, been kind enough to provide me, there's an estimated, let's see, this is from a 2001 outing age um, mm-hmm. uh, source, an estimated 1 to 3 million LGBT Americans 65 and older. That's today. And in 2030, uh, there was an estimated 2 to 6 million LGBT Americans 65 and older. And um, the LGBTs that are self-identified living uh, in uh Let's see. Um, it says 99.3 of all counties in the U.S. Is that like a percentage of all the counties? That's mm-hmm. what it's representing. So that's, that means that that population is everywhere. This population is everywhere. So uh, to to be considered as beneficiaries of the programs to which they literally and virtually are entitled. One in four same-sex couples had a partner 55 and older. Mm-hmm. That was in the two thousand. So this must... That, there's going to be more information. I'm sure it goes. It will be reflected upward. One in ten same-sex couples had partners 65 and older, so it drops off as they age. And that, that's make, that's where that kind of institutional support that you're so good at offering is is really important. If there's not a partner supporting, propping up that that vulnerable elder LGBTQ elder, there, that makes your institutional support so much more important.
1: And and really um, connecting people. And that's what I always say when you come to my social, it's in friendship. It's, you know, it, it always um, moves me how many travel from so far. I have, I have those that travel from Laguna Beach, um, South County, Laguna Niguel, all the way up from Seal Beach that will come to the center um, to connect with others. And then in that, I'll do health and wellness lectures, and we'll do different activities in the community. Um, and it, it just I, and so many of the stories that have been shared with me, um, losing so, so many, many friends and companions during the AIDS epidemic, um, not, you, know, feeling ashamed to talk about certain experiences. And and also ageism, and combating isolation, um, because when someone doesn't feel that they, you know, either the self worth or um, has lost so many of their loved ones, it it really you really need to be able to reach out and and connect everybody, and right. and I've seen so many that have, um, like, just a story to share. Um, one of one nice. of my seniors who turned eighty seven. He um, he had a birthday party and and it was so moving when I attended and more than half the people that were at his party were those that he had met at the center. Wow! And this is
0: the network you created it.
1: And it and it was just it's very it's very moving when I can introduce you know someone to someone else and and oh my goodness I didn't know you lived so close by and and um or my my advocacy work. Um, with a gentleman who's, who was being discriminated against in a senior living community, um, they were treating, treating him as, as a visitor, as not, not his domestic partner, but, but as if, oh, you should come during these visiting hours, and, and he never even was, was in his partner's room. Wow. I mean, wow. really, really being treated um, not as the love of his life, but but but, like you should come at a different time, and when I you know when I was able to talk with the the senior living community and also be able to access the support services that so many aren't aware of, the right. Ombudsman program with the Council on Aging, um, you know being able to have um the mental health department involved, as far as like them coming and and bringing our other agencies together, and and going down to the the community and and talking to them about the discrimination and how this cannot be and 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 a lot of times it, when they when in that situation when they hear that from someone else they they're able to say this is wrong. Right. This was what you, what you were doing to these gentlemen. It was so wrong. And where's the compassion? Would he, Would you have treated a heterosexual couple like that? Would you have Would you have said that his affections to his partner were inappropriate? Well, I, I want to I, I mean, talk it was about just,
0: that I, for those of you who just joined us because I want I don't want to make sure everybody knows my guest is Katie Barraza. She's director of senior services at the Gay and Lesbian Services Center of Orange County, and we're talking about how. Elder LGBTQ are uh, being dismissed um, as sort of fringe members, and it's a we focused a lot in the media and in everyday conversations about adolescence cases in bullying. But this is a kind of a this is a the seniors are a vulnerable population, and it's it's akin to bullying, isn't it? Isn't that how you have to intervene?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And there's there's so much shame involved. You know, when you hear of a neighbor that's um, you know calling names. And, you know, kind of doing it when no one's around, you know, discriminating. That's and, what bullying is. Yeah. And, and it's just, you know, it's, it's so hard when you, when you try to figure out how can I make a difference? How can I um, have a place where I can share these stories? What are some of the ways that I can change what's going on? And, you know, and it's and, and also, too, so, for so many over the age of 55 that are coming out, Right. Having, having a place to be able to talk about what that experience is and, and you know, is, has family, you know, been supportive. If they haven't, talking to others that have experienced a similar, you know, experience where they can, where they can talk about, well, this is what it was like for me. And, you know, and, I'll, and, and I'll, one of the things that was said to one of the gentlemen was um, it takes time. Um, he had come out over a decade ago, but being able to talk to another gentleman and say things will get better—you're you're in the hardest part right now—and and knowing how beneficial that was for him to hear that from one of his
0: peers—beneficial. But I'm sure, for, from a senior's perspective, though something taking time is a—it's a little bit different. To, it's a, a rhythm that it's—it's it's more crucial to, um, that mm-hmm. one can uh, prevail because the I don't think in a senior's frame of reference that time is really at a, it's at a complete premium. So I, that, and that's what I want to ask. Are, are the societal changes toward the LGBTQ community that are palpable in the social institutional settings uh, that your clientele are navigating? Is, is it sh- showing up? I mean, it, we're seeing an amazing uh, change of, of, of mind about LGBTQ uh, relationships and that kind of thing in society as a general. Is it, is it something that you're seeing makes, makes your work a bit more manageable. You're make able to make more inroads. I
1: I feel definitely with the end of DOMA and having marriage equality, that there is that things are changing. But at the same time, we have so many you know states and so many areas where things need to be acknowledged and changed, so that there's that equality is is everywhere, and and how one can can look at, oh, well, we have, you know, at least this little bit of change, or these things are good. There's, there's still so much more that needs to be done and addressed.
0: Absolutely, and I, I want everybody to know where your center is located, and um, it's easy to get...
1: Yes, we're, we're located in Santa Ana, and it's right. the Gay and Lesbian Community Service Center, and we're located on, on yes. Spurgeon, but it's right um, off the 5 Freeway. It's very accessible, um, we have a website, and thecentroc.org. Uh, c- the the c-
0: and you're located, it's not, it's not far from where all the museums are. There. No, Bauer's, no, and so speaking of museums, places.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up. Right. Um, it's, it's been so great. Bowers Museum, we actually are a part of their treasure program. Wow. And, and that's been wonderful for our seniors with access to the arts.
0: I'm sure you you'd love to have volunteers call in and ask where they can help out with the Absolutely. We had, you had an event right around the corner previously and there's uh the next one's going to be coming up with a, a play that you'll all be attending as a group a little field trip. But um for the means of reaching Katie Barraza, it's at area code seven one four nine five three five four two eight, extension two oh four. We'll provide that on the podcast, as I always say when I do this. We're talking with Katie Barraza, di- director of Senior Services at the Gay and Lesbian Services Center of Orange County. And it's you're, you're the oldest center, but you're also taking some great uh, template uh, value from what's being developed in Los Angeles and San Francisco counties. Yes, and Palm stellar-
1: Springs. And I'm I yes. so glad that you brought that up, too, because um, I'm so inspired by the programs that exist for seniors, and I'm working hard to be able to mirror my programs um, by those that have been established. Los Angeles has a senior service program, Palm Springs, um, San Francisco. Um, I know Long Beach is doing work to, to support seniors in their areas. Um, but, I, but I really feel that as, you know, as we grow, being able to have, you know, show that we, we serve the whole community in and, and all ages. Right. And it's and important to combat ageism, and, um, and I have been out to Palm Springs and up to L.A. and talked with them on their programming and what has worked best for them. And, and it's just really empowering um, and, and bringing people together. It's, it's really made a big difference. Well, so I'm, I'm really grateful that when I came to the center um, that Kevin O'Grady, our executive director, said, I, I, we need to do this. I mean completely recognized that this was something that he wanted everyone to have access to.
0: And and I think a sort of a primer for people who want to um to get on board with just how how personal this kind of offense is that of, of how LGBTQ elders are being dismissed, there is the Jen Silent. You can at least see the trailer if the um the stomatics um film is not uh, in the theater nearest you, you can locate it and present it to somebody at a community center in your neighborhoods, at your place of worship, but um, Stu Maddox's film, "Jen Silent, is really, uh, the, at least the trailer, is really a remarkable uh, sort of a glimpse at how ashamed and marginalized those already vulnerable uh, elders are, and so it's, uh, it's strongly recommended, and so uh, I, I don't know if you want to say something else about that, Katie.
1: Uh, we we showed that film last year in the community, and and it really brought up a lot of questions for people. And that film focused, and I wanted to clarify on a gentleman that's, like with his partner um, yes. with Alzheimer's, and then a transgender woman that was had made such uh, you know choices with so much courage, right. and and the struggles that she, that she was having with cancer and. Um, it's. I mean, it's very, very moving because you see how, how, how they share their experiences and and what their deep feelings were of, you know, when things were a better at one time, and um, and it's just it's a really, really meaningful film, and and I'm so grateful to Stu Maddox for for making, you know, making the film and and bringing it so that people can see it. And and it really gives um, my seniors a voice.
0: Well, speaking of your seniors, you have a senior with you, Katie Barraza. I, I do. I, you thank have you. Master Sergeant Rodello. I do. A Vietnam veteran. Could <laughs> you introduce him in a few sentences and then hand the phone over to Major Sergeant Rodello, Master Sergeant, excuse me. So, yes. Thank I'm you. so
1: happy to have him speak to everybody. Um He's a veteran, he's an artist. Um, he's a caregiver, he's a father, he's he's so He's so, a husband. So many wonderful things. A husband just I I just have so much respect for this gentleman. So I'm really happy to have him here today to talk with everybody. So I'm going to pass the phone to him.
0: Okay, thank you so much. Good morning. Master Sergeant Rodello, thank you, yes. thank you for your sacrifice in the Vietnam War Theater, and I'm so glad you're on Ask a Leader today. We have just a few minutes left okay, in okay. the program, so you are, you are a married man, yes, and you, you are self-identified as how in the LGBTQ community.
2: Well, I, I'm, personally, I, I feel that I, I'm a gay person. I grew up that way since I was, what, five, six, seven years old, and I've, I've always been gay. Um, uh, my my life really started in an orphanage. Okay, I, I started off when I was two weeks old. They put me in there. Um, of course, I had a lot of friends. I used to play with dolls. I was just telling Katie a few minutes ago, I was playing dolls, I think. Uh, I think I put the last doll down when I was eight years old. But I, I've always had it, and that was my favorite thing. And nobody could bother me.
3: My okay. dolls
2: were my favorite. And then from there, you know, just how things go with children and everything, and grow up and... Uh, eventually, I got into sports, and and uh, some, somebody gave me a woodworking set when I was about nine years old, and uh, and from there, I, I learned how to work with wood. Well, by the time I was 17, I was a certified cat maker. Wow. Okay? Well, uh, anyway, as far as my, my military goes, there was a guy, or when I say a guy, this, to me, he was an old man already, but he might have been only 40. <laughs> about twice a week, when I came home from school... I stop in his office. He used to be in our administration offices. And we'd sit down together and we'd talk about my projects that I did in school, my accomplishments, whether it be sports or my, my uh, academic whatever. Well, one day I went in there and we'd sit down. And he brought, he just, he had this brand new back desk. And on there, there, was all kinds of pictures and everything. And one picture that I noticed was a rather large picture. And there was a whole bunch of Navy people in there. Well, the one person I looked at, I said, "See, the guy in the picture—he looks like the guy I'm talking to." So I asked him, "Who, "Who is that guy in the middle in there?" And he said, "Well, that's that's me when I was a lieutenant commander in the Navy." And from that point on, I'll tell you what, my brain just exploded inside, and I kept telling myself, that's what I want to do when I get out of the orphanage.
0: Well, let's talk about your experience um, in the community now where you are and how you okay. identify. And what. Just we have one minute left, okay. I right. uh, hasten to say. That's all right. Uh, and so what... Can you say in a couple of sentences are are your is your experience are, are things beginning are you finding your way around are you able to be are when did you come out of the the closet and or are are uh, we're obviously outing you here well, on the I'm, show? I'm out,
2: I'm out now, but I had uh, with with my military years, of course, I had to be in the closet all the time. Correct. Which I didn't like that, but eventually, when I did get out, I, I got out in '87, and from there, I started breaking out and. A little bit, and, uh, I, I, only told my wife about 15 years ago. I see. That I was gay. And, and when? She, and she said, you know what? I know that already. She knew that. I said, wow. I said, that's something.
0: Well, there's so, a spouse.
2: So it was, uh, you know, it was really, for us, it was, it was comfortable. So, so when, did, how did you
0: find Katie's center? And then we'll have to turn the phone over and say thank you to, okay. or we'll let you, we'll let you wrap it up with that and okay. we'll say Katie, uh, yeah. we're done.
2: Well, I, I had actually been going to the center back when we was at Garden Grove. Okay. I've been going on and when I came back over here, Katie here and we showed up and I started going to some of her meetings and everything and we have a great time though. We get to talk about ours, about us and our events that we do in our life and whatever and I really feel comfortable with it.
0: So you may be something. You're a veteran and an emissary now yes. uh, for for Katie Center, uh, and you're personally responsible, no doubt, for giving people a place to land gently with oh, yes, their absolutely. identity they've harbored and 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 held, but weren't sure how to to, to hold that in the increasingly mm-hmm. public and arena. And even
2: even now, I, I meet a lot of young people, and I ask them different questions and, and about their life, and they say, "Well, yeah, I have this problem with my." sexual identity, and I said, well, you know, you, you learn to be comfortable with because, you know, it's not something you have to hate, you know, be, you know talk with somebody, be, be, be open, be upfront, you know, and then you'll, you'll find out it's going to be okay.
0: Well, th- those are very reassuring words, I'm sure, that you've made a, an amazing impact. And I I want to thank you, and I want to thank Katie Barraza, who is the Director of the Senior Services yes. at the Gay and Lesbian Services mm-hmm. Center. I want to thank you both very much. Thank Katie for me. I'm going to let you conclude the, okay. the conversation. Thank you very much, and thank you for All your right. service.
2: And thank you for let oh, well, letting us talk.
0: Thanks a lot. Bye now. Bye-bye. Well, we'll be back in just a bit. We're going to bring on Jeff Kugel, and he's an immigration attorney practicing in Irvine. Don't go away. We'll be right back. No complaints
2: and no regrets. I still believe in chasing dreams and placing bets. But I have learned that all you give is all
0: you get. So give it all you've got. Shirley Horn does it every time. Here's to life. I just love playing that. Thank you for coming back, joining us here at Ask a Leader. Uh, we just talked about vulnerable LGBTQ seniors. Now we direct our attention to a different vulnerability, those seeking documentation to live out a safe existence here in the U.S. My next guest is Jeff Kurgel, immigration attorney practicing in Irvine. He immigrated to the U.S. at the ripe little age of one in 1979. He grew up in Westminster and Irvine. Attended Cal State Long Beach as an undergrad and completed his law degree at Pepperdine. Uh, Jeff was a law clerk for the Federal Trade Commission, the Northeast Region in New York City, and the Department of Justice in Honolulu. He later was a partner at an immigration law firm in Pasadena, where he headed the family reunification program. Lots to tell there. I know of. Um, he then moved on to serve in stints with the U.S. embassies in Moscow and Azerbaijan at the Immigration Naturalization Service, then as U.S. Diplomat for the State Department. He completed his, completes his stateside circle by establishing a private practice here in Irvine, specializing in deportation, asylum, DACA, Dreamers, and family green cards, as well as business cases concerning immigrants wanting to open small businesses or sponsor foreign workers. He contributes to a weekly column in the Asian Journal of Orange County, and as he joins me in, in Studio A, so does our intern, Sammy Kabara, who is himself, he is born here. His parents are from Lebanon. So we might even be able to thread in that story here. Well, welcome to the show, Jeff, and to Sammy. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you. Okay, we'll let you know which voices You'll hear mostly the attorneys. That's, <laughs> that's, the, that's, what we, that's how it's been arranged. Well, let's start, Jeff Kurgal, with you telling us whether it was a direct career path from teaching social studies at a middle school in Watts in L.A., and then on to law school, onward to a practice in immigration law.
3: Uh, I would say it was. Uh, immigration is sort of one of those issues here in Orange County in Southern California that's omnipresent. It's around us, and it pervades all, all of our lives. So it's, it's something that's always been an interest of mine. Um, I think our immigration policies and our immigration laws say a lot about who we are as a country and how we identify ourselves the way we treat immigrants and the policies we'll have going forward will obviously say a lot about the way our country will look.
0: Well, actually, and you, how we treat immigrants is also, it's a reflection of our sort of ideological divide. And is it true that, well, and that during the Cold War, all the alliance systems were what determined how permeable we were with, with immigrants. And so that was the case then. And so what's the case now in terms of how permeable we are with People looking for asylum and and
3: the the like. Well, with immigration throughout our nation's history, various people have been excluded at various times. And so right now, we're in a time where um, there are quotas for family and employment-based immigrants. And the only oversubscribed countries are those where there are more than other categories coming into the U.S., uh, Philippines, India, Mexico, and certain categories those particular countries are oversubscribed other than that it 's a quota system wherein family and employment based immigrants get in line and process their immigration.
0: now, can you define that what that means oversubscribe.
3: Uh, That means there are more applicants than there are visas available. So as a result, those particular countries in those categories within the employment and family-based classifications will take longer than other applicants.
0: So as we're watching that catastrophic typhoon overtake Philippines, that oversubscribing is going to be even more intensified.
3: Oh, folks from the Philippines really have a long wait. For example, a sibling citizen petitioning their sibling Filipino national will actually wait over 20 years now uh, to immigrate to the U.S. So they're in a particularly harsh situation. And that is the definition of vulnerable.
0: Your status is pending and for that's a long way to wait out uh, settling into some sort of legitimate status. That's right. 20 years. So your parents immigration trail that started in 1979. There's a few general things that you can say about that. So sure. A little background
3: on that. Sure, sure. Uh, Soviet immigrants, they came over in the late 70s, uh, and that immigration trail has continued on to the early 90s. And, um, and U.S. immigration programs have always been uh, generous to asylum seekers, to refugees, and, and that continues today. Um, but around the world, obviously, there's a huge need right now, and UNHCR, United Nations, High Commissioner for Refugee uh, Offices all over the world uh, are being um, inquired to buy immigrants everywhere. So the U.S., like many other nations around the world, do take in refugees on a humanitarian basis, and my, my personal history, as you alluded to, uh, stems from that. And so can you at least tell us
0: just how long you arrived around 1979? How long did it take for the paperwork to be
3: generally clear? It was a good uh, one or two-year process before, before we were finally able to immigrate. Yeah.
0: Okay, okay.
3: So that, that in the matter
0: of speaking, was a much more expeditious, and that there was the, the bias or the uh, preference for people leaving the USSR at that time, that Cold War map. Right. Okay. Well, for those of you who've just joined us... Speaking today on the Ask a Leader in this part of the show is my guest, Jeff Kergel, an attorney practicing immigration law here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and streaming around the world in the ICE waiting rooms and lobbies on KUCI.org. We have with us today, uh, in, as an intern, I'm hoping he can uh, get a, a little idea of how to to uh, run a program, we have interns that, uh, in uh, the eight-week courses here at UC Irvine, and that's Sammy Kabara, and say hello again, Sammy. Hello. Okay, so uh, he, he uh, did not have to immigrate. His parents immigrated from Lebanon. So Sammy's story is he uh, he fell out of bed. He went to school. <laughs> he, he came to the radio station. Not no ship, no plane, no. Yeah, no, so simple. <laughs> no, no, no bus. Yet. Yes, it was simple. So um, what we I want to go back to how then the uh, dwindling prospects now. For the DREAM Act, I mean, the DREAM Act isn't happening at all. We don't, I don't even think we call it the DREAM Act anymore. We have immigration reform. I think that's those are the, the go words. So that, that is the, that's one brief story. You want to handle that first, and then we can talk about what's going on in November 2013 that, that gives us pause for whether there's going to be relief for this vulnerable population about which we're speaking.
3: Sure. So um, over the summer, the Senate approved a bipartisan immigration reform bill, uh the bill was the uh the bill benefited from widespread bipartisan support uh it includes a path to citizenship guest worker program reforms uh, increased visa numbers for skilled workers and bolstering employment verification so coming out of the summer a lot of us in the immigration community had optimism and the 11 million undocumented immigrants in the US also were hoping for some relief but then summer recess happened uh the house went away then they came back, then there was Syria, there was health care, there was the government shutdown. Well, they have the whole budget sort of uh, chicken game. I mean, it was it was a huge obsession and with this kind of a cost. It was at the cost of advancing public policy that this shutdown was a, a hugely expensive, obsessive project. That's right. And, and so now the bill is languishing in the House. Uh, House Republicans have said that they would prefer to undertake a number of smaller bills instead of the larger package that the Senate passed. Uh, One of the most contentious parts of the Senate bill was that it created a one-year path to citizenship. And so here we are in November. uh, We find ourselves on the eve of the congressional calendar for 2013. Um, House Republicans are still smarting from what they perceive as the president, not wanting to work with them on the budget. And frankly, uh, a lot of the representatives don't feel there's any political advantage with moving reform forward.
0: As the whole safe district situation has been constructed, that many of those safe districts that are being represented by uh, Republicans, there seems not to be any kind of a, an immigrant issue that's that's make holding them accountable it's giving them any incentive to move on this they have little incentive to actually
3: move on this reform that's right and and so what we have is a nation that overwhelmingly is for immigration reform i think the recent cbs poll said something like 75 percent of americans favor immigration reform but we have a small minority that's essentially holding everyone else hostage from progress
0: so from your practice you're watching now there are the deferred action or DACA for short, the Deferred Action Eligible uh, Clients. So, I, I personally have seen them all at various stages of getting their paperwork done. What is your experience with your clientele
3: with DACA processing? Sure. So uh, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, also known as DACA, is an administrative remedy that the president pushed forward last year. It's not a law. It's, it's not a law. an executive direction. That's right. And it's sort of basically a Band-Aid on our broken, on our broken system. And so DACA allows certain childhood arrivals. These are folks brought here as children, Um, it allows them, if they're going to school, if they're serving in the military, to be able to uh, have relief from removal for two years. They're able to work. Under certain circumstances, they're able to travel, but it's only a temporary solution. And what a lot of my clients are telling me, a lot of folks I speak to, um, they don't know that they want to apply. Because they've been living in this country for a number of years, they have a family, they have a work, they have work here, they have a life here, and these people are used to living in the shadows. They're used to living as second-class citizens, and they don't want interaction with law enforcement. They don't trust law enforcement. So the idea of applying for an immigration benefit and basically handing their life on a platter to immigration authorities You're
0: putting everything on the document. It's a public document, so th- there you are. You're—that's an outing. That's what they call it, being outed.
3: That's right. And so even though the program has a Great ameliorative effect. Yes. It, uh, it's a temporary solution, and some folks don't want to come forward. So, what are you finding in your clientele? That that's one of your parts of your practice, and I don't know what percentage you could say it is. Uh, we do have a number of DACA cases, and um, especially among among folks here at UCI and in the UCI community, because they're the ones who were brought here when they were young, or they know someone who was, uh, and they come in, and and often. Uh, they've spoken to several immigration attorneys, and they want an evaluation. They want to know their chances. And so, when, when I explain to them what the program entails, um, sure, a certain number want to apply, but there are some that are a little wary. And so,
0: they want you to give them an answer to a super complicated question.
3: So you are
0: you're a, you're playing God and immigration God here. So how do you um, you must have some kind of parameters or some boundaries around which you you can be their counsel. So how do you
3: navigate that very delicate, complicated situation? It is very delicate and uh, for a number of people it's very emotional. Uh, These are deeply held secrets that often their friends, their coworkers don't know about. They come in and they seek your assistance. So uh, as an attorney you listen and you give them an honest appraisal of the state of the law. You give them an honest appraisal of the benefits and the risks of applying for any immigration benefit. And so, do some of them decide by uh, based on what you've told them maybe they're not going to pursue the DACA? a number of them have decided that yeah. and
0: I'm, I'm wondering Jeff, if they had some of them withdrew their processing i mean before it was officially in the in the the pipeline uh, because they were able to get their driver 's license now that there was that was one sort of major change in their employability and their being adults that they could prove their uh personal identification, that kind of a thing, did that seem to drop off once that that privilege of having a driver's license was made uh, available to California uh, residents?
3: I don't know that the two processes affected each other so much because the majority of uh, deferred action applicants were last year uh, and the driver's license is slightly newer. It may change the game a little bit. Exactly. And And it is true that having that identification in your pocket having that ability to show someone that i am such and such with such and such id and such and such name is hugely critical uh for these folks
0: so um that is critical and maybe i don't know if you have maybe a case study uh no names or anything like that but if there's something because i think a a personalized case study can go a long way to illustrate about what you're talking about
3: handy sure sure i mean the the typical case uh... being you know two hours from the border with mexico here in orange county uh... the typical case will be uh, a young person who was brought here when they were a kid with their par- by their parents they came over the border um, they risked everything to come here typically uh... and they risk their lives often through the use of coyotes and through the deserts in arizona mexico um, they come here and they grow up here they go to school often they don't even know they're not citizens They speak perfect English. Often, they don't speak Spanish. Uh, As they get older, they marry. They may have a couple kids, and finally, they decide that's it. I want to become legal. I've I've been here for twenty some odd years. Uh, I've worked honestly. I haven't committed any crimes, and I want an ID. I want to become an American. And so, that's typically the point at which they'll come in to see an immigration attorney. And Sometimes there is a solution for these folks. Slow down, mm-hmm. though, uh,
0: they have to figure out that to go into the door, they're going to have to lay out some money to, uh, for fees. So there's a maybe a commitment, a financial commitment, and that, that was a big
3: decision for them just to come to your door. Of course, of course. Yeah, There's a professional fee. Uh, there are certainly nonprofit uh, community groups. There are uh, legal uh, organizations that provide assistance to immigrants who, who want to avail of their services. Uh, but, but yeah, there is there's a certain amount of shopping around that has to happen. Uh, folks need to go around and find an attorney that they're comfortable with, that can explain their case to them, that they feel they can confide in. And uh, and some of these um, applicants in the situation I just described mm-hmm. brought here as children, some of them will want to proceed with the Deferred Action Program. Uh, there's also a provisional waiver that they can avail of, wherein if their waiver is approved, uh, they'll go to Mexico to pick up an immigrant visa, but then they'll be allowed back into the country. So there, there are several programs which, as an attorney, uh, need to carefully be explained to, to people considering applying for these benefits.
0: And then there's the added complication, whether or not there's immigration reform with, um, the, with deferred action. There's a cap for how old that prospective applicant is, and they they had to have been 31 as of June 15 of last year, and so uh, I imagine you're seeing a kind of a not a, a a mouse and the snake kind of a thing, an egg and the snake, where there's a certain age, and then after a while, there's there's no there's no gain, there's no payback, for, payoff for having. Gone through all of this, so you're, it's a, a slightly younger clientele that you have to be working with.
3: That's for, exactly for right for DACA. That is that's right for this particular benefit. You have to have been under the age of 31 on June 15, 2012. In addition to meeting other qualifications.
0: Well, it's as we said, it's been roughly 18 months since DACA was was. Um, I don't want to say it was since it was not; it wasn't codified because it's not a law. But I'd, and actually, jo, help me out with the term. Mm-hmm. It's not an executive action; it's an executive direction. That's right. So, uh, so it's been 18 months since that process has been underway. So, um, it's uh, it will term out with the the end of the Obama presidency. There's nothing that extends it unless there is an administration that carries it forward. So that would go up. It's it's effective until the inauguration of the next president?
3: Well, it's a two-year solution for folks that are approved. And whether it will be extended beyond that, we'll wait and see.
0: Okay. So um, uh, <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. Um, it's the, Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your clientele. You gave us the kind of the Latino uh, sort of case study. Um, but I think uh, people would be surprised to know that your clientele Uh, hardly looks just uh, Latino uh, when we look at those that are coming over from the UCI campus, those that are Irvine. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about how that breaks down.
3: Sure, sure. So that's one of the great things about living and working here in Orange County. Uh, We we truly are a multicultural society. Um, Being close to UCI, there are a lot of uh, UCI uh, call UCI University related folks uh, that come over and ask questions. Uh, something that I see a lot of that um, other immigration attorneys might not see are research, professor, our uh, folks associated with studying, doing grad school at the university, and um, a lot of these people are really looking towards immigration reform, uh, in another sense, they're looking for startup business visas. They're looking for visas. Uh, they're looking for an H-1B cap increase. The H-1B is sort of the workhorse of the U.S. professional temporary yes. worker system. Yes. And it's currently capped at 65000 a year. Uh, there are a lot of folks associated with universities all over the country and a lot of companies that are looking for an increase in that cap. Uh, because it would allow them to meet their hiring needs, to meet their business needs. So uh, folks associated with the university community often have questions about that. Last year, the H-1B cap of 65,000 filled up within about a week of becoming open on April 1st. So in my opinion, uh, it's it's just so crucial that especially the, the talented science, technology, engineering, math graduates uh, studying in the U.S., are able to stay here are able to open businesses here contribute to the economy here rather than coming to the US getting a world class education and then packing up and shipping back home and that's so there's so many different goals some are
0: intending to return and others are perhaps maybe their their goals change once they've spent time here and there's certain cultural aspects that are very attractive and staying is really becomes the goal and that's where that's where Jeff Krigel comes in handy i want for people to know that you can Find out more about Jeff Kurgel's practice at kurgel.com, and it's spelled dot lcom He's located just across the street from the Studio A uh, at 4199 Campus Drive, and I can even give a number, 949-509-6515, and you can find out more. And uh, the Asian Journal will, uh, is it month to month? Uh, weekly. Week, or The weekly. So weekly is uh, how much you contribute the articles so people can find out How you think? How you write? That's right. That's your product. Only it's not your crack staff. You are so. um, That's to give people another resource. Well, um, so there is a new outfit. I couldn't figure that one out. Coming Mm -hmm. soon to the campus at the Student Center. Can you tell us about that?
3: Um, There, there are groups at UCI that uh, support immigration reform that agitate and that protest and that voice their opinion in support of reform. Um, there are students throughout the country that are undocumented, that are proud to fight their cause and um, promote their cause. And UCI certainly being a, a hotbed of political free speech and of... Um, of group of student groups that are not afraid to voice their opinions. Uh, that that's something that we see here on campus often. And certainly uh, in the next couple weeks here, as the congressional calendar winds down and early into 2014, before midterm elections next year, uh, I think these groups will make their voices heard more and more. Wow, that's exciting. Well, I sh- I should skip. Uh, I'm uh,
0: not going to broadside Sammy, but I imagine by now our intern here, who's taking the eight week course, which anybody. In the UCI community, that's faculty, staff, students. I'm not sure. I guess alumni, too, will be taking. Sammy's taking that course. He's an intern this this very uh, quarter, about wrapping it up now. Finished your skim tape b- by now. Did you have a question for our distinguished guest, Jeff Kregel, perhaps?
3: I want to ask you how, for example, other uh, nationalities, other than the Latinos, are seeking, you know, coming here on document and trying to uh, seek you out. Well, it's an interesting question, Uh Really, everyone comes with a completely different story, with a completely different background and different hopes and dreams. Uh, some people came here as kids, unlawfully, have lived here their whole life and want to stay here. But some, some folks just got off the plane and they want to open a business here or they want to make an investment here and receive temporary visa or permanent immigration status by those means. Uh, some folks want to study here. They're athletes, professors, researchers. Any variety of professions are represented among our visa applicants. So that, that's really what I love about working in this area and about working in immigration laws. You never know who will walk through the door.
0: Thank you. And and I just wanted to wrap it up with so the we talked about reform, but this, the the rules can still be changing all the time. We don't have to have legislative. Uh, activity to make your life more complicated and your practice more complicated. But aren't there always new rules being promulgated that makes you and a
3: a practicing immigration attorney uh, super challenged? That's right. It's what keeps life interesting. It's not just a matter of there are laws and then things change. Uh, there are several agencies involved in administering our immigration laws, and there are always regulatory procedural changes, and uh, that's that's what keeps things interesting, keeps us on our toes.
0: Well, I- interesting is a, a polite way to uh, put that, but that's what <laughs> aspiring professionals always do, and, and c- accomplished. I'm going to say accomplished. This guy's a veteran. Well, Jeff Kergel, attorney in immigration law here in Irvine nearby, and I, w- I want to thank you for being on the show. And, Sammy, I wish you well, and uh, you can come back and uh, – Play around with some of the show at another time. Uh, I want to thank you both for being on Ask a Leader today.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, I am going to, as, in terms of wrapping up, I've got just a few announcements. Uh, Tonight the night that the Irvine City Council will vote on uh, many items concerning the Great Park. 5 p.m. at the City Hall. Uh, today is when the action starts, Um The L.A. Times coverage was one version of the situation. IrvineMatters.com is another version. I hope you'll take advantage of the resources available to you. It's a consequential matter for the city of Irvine, and guests come from around the world to use that park, so think about that. So I just want to uh, thank everybody who helped with the Fall Fund Drive, who supported the Fall Fund Drive, and especially Marie who called in on my show last week. Thanks a lot, Marie-O. And uh, I know Jeannie wrote the check and sent it in. Next week, I'm going to have a couple of people, at least one from the Humanities Department. We'll talk about that 1,300 pieces of art stashed in that Munich apartment and maybe some other lively stuff. Or maybe a retrospective of some of our processing JFK's assassination. Thank you for joining me on Ask a Leader. Thanks for listening. See you next week.